Well, last year for Christmas, we got the game Mousetrap. And I'm sure we all know the game. You go around the board, you avoid the mousetrap. And the key is to get eight pieces of cheese. If you get eight pieces of cheese, you win. And at first we played the game a lot, but after a while we stopped playing because the game seems pointless. After you've got your eight pieces of cheese, now what? And that's how life feels. Now what? I've got my degree. Now what? I've got my job. Now what? I've got the house and kids. Now what? See, life gives us all these hoops to jump, exams to pass, and mountains to climb. But once we've done all of that, now what? So what would Jesus say to a high achiever? So welcome again to our Feb Talk series. In this month, we're asking the question, what would Jesus say? And we have Jesus meet someone in the Bible, and we ask, what would Jesus say to that person? And what would Jesus say to me today? And this is coming in the form of a 20-minute talk from me now, followed by a question and answer from you guys. And there will be a number on the screen that you can text and ask me any question that you want. And today is week two, so our question is this, what would Jesus say to the high achiever? Because in that Bible story we just heard, Jesus meets a high achiever. A man comes up to Jesus. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, well, you know the commandments. And Jesus then just rattles off the commandments like bullet points. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, the man declared, all these I have done since I was a boy. This man is the high achiever. He has done everything. If he was around today, he might look like this. He has done everything. His society, his family and his religion asks him to do. In other parts of the Bible, we find out he's also young, he's rich, and he's powerful. He's young and successful, like a high school student, it's just ace the HSC. He's rich, like a university student, and can do a gap year in Europe. And he's powerful, like the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. But he's also restless. He's looking for something more and he comes to Jesus. And this is the part of the story I just don't get. This man is young, rich, powerful. He's done everything his society, his family, his religion tells him to do. Why is he still restless? Well, to answer that, we have to hear the three things that Jesus tells this man today and the three things that Jesus tells us. So the first thing is this. Achievements leave us empty. Achievements can leave us empty. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees before him. He asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man is looking for more than what this life can give him. He's now looking for a full life, a filled life, a fulfilled life, or what they might call eternal life. In the morning when I wake up, I have a cup of coffee and I can feel the buzz fill me. Then about 10 in the morning, I have another cup of coffee. 
piss behind the bars isn't so intense. In the afternoon, we have a staff meeting, so I have another cup of coffee, and this time I feel no buzz. Each cup of coffee delivers less and less, so I have to have more and more and more coffee during the day. What has happened? Well, as you know, my body has built tolerance to the coffee. I recalibrate to each cup as if it's a new norm. So coffee makes me want more, coffee delivers less and less, and it leaves me feeling empty. And achievements are the same as cups of coffee. We recalibrate to each achievement as if it's a new norm. We build up a tolerance to achievements. Achievements ask for more achievements, but they deliver less and less each time, and they leave us feeling empty. They give us a blur feeling. Now, Friedrich Nietzsche was a philosopher. Philosophers don't use the word blur. They use bigger, more sophisticated words. So Friedrich Nietzsche says it's like this. Achievements, they are the melancholy of all things accomplished. Once you find what you're looking for, you get this uh feeling, melancholy. This is one of my favourite photos. It's when Australia used to be good at rugby. And it's, I've got a picture of Nick Farr Jones, David Campisi holding up the Rugby World Cup because they have just won the Rugby World Cup. This is the highest of highs in rugby because Nick Farr Jones has just captained his own country to win the Rugby World Cup at the home of rugby Twickenham in London in front of the Queen. And as they hand him the trophy... Later, BBC commentator asked him, how did you feel? And he said, I felt blur. I felt melancholy, quoting Friedrich Nietzsche. I felt like, is this it? Is this we work for? I thought there would be something more. Jill Stark is an Australian journalist, and she wrote this book just a few years ago, Happy Never After. And it's described how she felt when she wrote a previous book which became a bestseller. She was an Australian hero after that book and that spiralled her into depression. And apparently that's very common with authors. Once they get a bestseller, they get this, uh feeling, I thought there would be something more. I'm still the same person I was yesterday. So achievements can give us an empty feeling. But the second thing is this. Achievements can also trap us. We can be trapped by our achievements. Jesus looked at the man and he loved him. And Jesus said to him, one thing you lack, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The man can't do it. He's sad because he knows he's trapped by his wealth. He's trapped by his achievements. Now, when I worked as a young doctor in the hospitals, I used to also play rugby at the same time. So I played rugby by day and worked the night shift as a doctor. Rugby by day, doctor at night. Rugby by day, doctor at night. And it was unsustainable. But I had to keep it up because every time I turned up work as a doctor, people would say, how's the rugby? How's the rugby? And I'd say, oh, it was great. It was great. So I couldn't stop because if I stopped playing rugby, they wouldn't know what to say. It defined me, became my identity. But it got worse because one day I'd turn up to work and I had a black eye. 
And everyone goes, oh, wow, you got a black eye. You got a black eye. So I thought, oh, no, now I have to keep playing rugby and get a black eye every time. Because when I didn't have a black eye, they would go, oh, what happened? How come you got no black eye? But it got worse because one day I turned up with two black eyes. And everyone goes, oh, wow, you have two black eyes. I thought, oh, no, now I have to play rugby and get two black eyes every time. Because whenever I didn't have two black eyes, they go, oh, what happened? Where's the other black eye? Wow, I was trapped in my lifestyle. It became who I was my identity and achievements can trap us because they become who we are we have family friends and their daughter used to become ducks every year in a very elite private school and the pressure to keep oncoming ducks broke her they had to change schools see she couldn't come second or third anymore see you and i would be happy coming second or third in the year but for her that was a failure she had to come number one every year and it broke her she was trapped by her achievements because it defined who she was and we too can be trapped by our achievements maybe our phd maybe our research maybe our lifestyle we can be trapped because they define us and they become who we are so what's the solution well that brings us to the third thing that jesus says and it's this jesus offers the ultimate achievement Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And Jesus said to him, one thing you lack. This is the missing thing. This is the one final achievement that all high achievers need. Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have the ultimate achievement. Treasure in heaven. Now, Chinese people are interesting, aren't they? Because their houses can be so clean. They have white carpet. No other culture in the world wants white carpet, but Chinese want white carpet. They cover their furniture in plastic so it doesn't get dirty. They even cover their remote controls in plastic. I don't get that. Are we going to resell it? Is there resale value for this? They make you take your shoes off before you come to the house. They're, they have to be clean. But then you go to one of their restaurants. Oh, not so clean. What is going on? Because, come on, you and I know, for a Chinese person, it's not about the decor. It's not about the tablecloths. It's not about the colour scheme. If you're going to pay money at a restaurant, it's all about... The food. This is where you want your money going for. This is the prize. Yes, tablecloths, decor, colour schemes are important, but this is the main prize. This is the ultimate value, the food. And in life, it's the same. Achievements are good. Achievements are important. But what is the ultimate prize in life? This is Robert Waldinger from Harvard. He's a psychologist. And this is the most watched TED Talk of all time and it's called what makes a good life and Harvard did a study where they traced over 70 men over 70 years and saw what led to happiness and they found no correlation between happiness and whether you had a million dollars or not no correlation between happiness and whether you are CEO or not no correlation between happiness and whether you had paid off your house or not the correlation between happiness and what you had in life was this. The quality of our relationships. 
whether we had thriving, flourishing friendships. And so Robert Waldinger in this talk quotes this. He quotes Mark Twain. There isn't time, so brief is life, for bickerings. Get over it. There is only time for loving and only for brief time only. It's friendships that, uh, that correlate with how happy and fulfilled we are in this life. And so it doesn't come down to what we have done. It comes down to who we have in life. That is the ultimate treasure. And if we have relationships with each other that are thriving and flourishing, that is the treasure on earth. And then how much so if we can have a thriving relationship with God in heaven, that is the treasure in heaven that Jesus is talking about. But you and I know it. Let's not be so naive. Friendships aren't easy to pull off. We all know of two close friends who go to Europe and come back not talking to each other. We all know friends who form a business together and then had to talk through lawyers to each other. And lovers fall in love and they fall out of love. So how can we have rich, thriving relationships? And I think that's why Jesus says this. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, yep, you're right. This is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. How can we have treasures on earth and treasures in heaven? Well, in the end, it can't come down to what we can achieve. It comes down to God's ultimate achievement for us. You know, when we go for a job interview, suddenly we're forced to brag, brag about our achievements, tell them what our HSC was, mark was. But when you're going on a date, it's the opposite. You're not in a job interview. You're not meant to brag about your achievements to her. Guys, you don't tell her, her your HSC mark. She doesn't want to know. Do not brag about your achievements. The secret to a great date, then, is you try to brag about her achievements, Brag about how smart she is. Brag about where she's travelled. Brag about how funny she is. That is a secret to a relationship. And when it comes to us and God, it doesn't come down to our achievements. We brag about God's achievements. Who he is. He's the God who loves us, the God who made us, and he's the God who saves us. And the relationship doesn't depend on our achievements. It depends on God's achievements. And we're no longer defined by our achievements, but by God's achievements. And that frees us up to enjoy achievements for just what they are, a good gift from a good God to enjoy, but we're no longer trapped by them. So do you remember my original question this morning? It was this, what would Jesus say to the high achiever? Jesus would say this, achievements are good in and of themselves, but they can leave us empty and they can trap us, and they can define us. But we have a God who gives us the ultimate achievement. He's a God who loves us, he made us, and he saves us. And if we put our trust in God's achievements, we can have a rich, flourishing relationship with this God. We can have treasures in heaven. So this is my family. I'm married to Steph. We have three young boys. And for a long time, I tried this little ritual where I'll take each boy out on a daddy date. Maybe it was a Saturday morning, and usually for the daddy date, we'll go to a park and play, and then we'll go to a cafe for breakfast, and then afterwards I would take them to a toy shop and buy them whatever toy they wanted. But after a little while, I noticed the meaning of daddy date was morphing. It was changing because the boys were saying to me, hey, dad, 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 for the next daddy date, can you buy me this? 
Hey, for the next daddy date, can you get me this toy? Hey, for the next daddy date, can you get me this? I thought, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. You guys have got this all wrong. The meaning of daddy date is so we can enjoy each other's company. But you've changed into what you can get out of me, what toy you can buy from me. And the same with life. We can morph the meaning into life, into what we can achieve, into our trophies and our toys. But really, the true meaning of life is to enjoy the presence of God, because that is the ultimate treasure in heaven. I think now we have a time of Q&A. Is that, do we have questions? Or I'd like to invite uh, Andrew Bardsley and uh, Sam Chan to do the Q&A. Thanks, Tim. All right. Well, we have uh, had another inspiring and eye-opening talk. Uh, Sam, thank you so much. Um, and there are some questions coming in. And as usual, I've grouped them into some categories. So the first category is about money. Um, sure. Can you be rich and still a Christian is the first one of these questions. Can you be rich and still a Christian? Uh, with the rich young man, he asked... Um, uh, for what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him that he needs to sell everything and give it give it away, give it to the poor. Um, does this mean that we have to sell everything and give it away? Okay, that's the question yeah. of money. I, I'm going to stand up here because I'm short, all right? <laughs> I've just noticed I can't see the back half of the room, meaning they can't see me. All right. Yeah, so what's fascinating is... If we look up this story, which was read to us in Mark chapter 10, and we can find the equivalent story in the book of Luke, straight after the rich young ruler isn't able to sell everything to follow Jesus, another rich person called Zacchaeus comes, and he, he doesn't have to sell everything. And Jesus simply says to him, hey, I'm coming to your house to have dinner. And Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus into his home and has a meal. And it's as simple as that. Have me over for dinner was a request from Jesus to Zacchaeus. And then Zacchaeus afterwards, because in his joy uh, and because he's been set free from the hold that money had over him. So the kid says, you know, I'm going to give away half of everything I have to the poor. So he didn't have to give everything away at all. And Jesus didn't even ask him to. So what's going on here? So the more and more we read the Bible, we see different people come to Jesus. And Jesus somehow can identify the different issues that hold them back from a rich, flourishing relationship with God. So Jesus meets Nicodemus, who's a uh, religious expert. And Jesus identifies a theory logical problem that Zeke, uh, Nicodemus has and says, you know, you have to be born again. Um, Jesus meets a woman coming to a well to draw water and Jesus identifies the problem that she has that's holding her back. You know, you've been broken. Uh, now come and have living water from me. And to Zacchaeus, hey, you need to welcome me for dinner. That, that, that's what's holding you back. Uh, but for this man, money was holding him back. So there are many counterexamples of Christians who have been blessed with God with money, which then they use, uh, you know, uh, and money's good in and of itself. It's not only for utilitarian value. But the Bible says when we work, work is good in and of itself because at a base level it pays the bills, it stops us being dependent on other people, but it also frees us up to be generous to other people and, and also 
add value through that. So the answer is no. Uh, you don't have to give away everything to follow Jesus. You can be rich and follow Jesus at, at, at the same time. That's right. And if you give away everything, then suddenly you become yeah. a burden to everyone else, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we did this fascinating thing last year where we had a talk on what would Jesus say to the person who has it all. And remember I did a DISC analysis on all of us uh, where we fall. Like I said, if we're in a lift in an elevator and it says maximum 12 people and there are only 13 people in this lift and the doors are closing, you're running 10 minutes late for an appointment and someone is running, hold the lift and let me in. I said, who here would say, um, sorry, no, the we're running late. Go, go get your own lift. So just out of interest, who would do that? All right. A few, yeah, minority, minority. Who would say, come, we can make this work. We're, yep, yep, yep. Okay, a few. Who would who would say, oh, we shouldn't, but I don't want to cause a fuss. I'm a bit of a peacemaker. So who, who would do that? You know, I just don't want to cause conflict. Who would be that? All right, a few. And who would say, no, sorry, the sign says 12 people, wear it over, and I'm running late. Who would say that? All right, so rough, roughly even spread. So the first group, your, your D, you give directions. Second group, come, we can make this work. Your I, your inspirational. Uh, the, the next one, S, you're, you're into uh, whatever. But <laughs> last one, C, your quality control. So for D people, money represents Power. For I people, money represents freedom. For S people, money represents security, um, yeah, right, security, security and friendship. And for C people, uh, I can't remember. But anyway, <laughs> it was just a way to pay the bills, right? So it means money has a different hold on all of us for different reasons. Mm. And we need to identify what is it that has a hold on me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so there's a profound spiritual purpose to Jesus um uh, response to this guy, yeah, and it's to do with him in particular. He's not saying everyone has to sell everything and follow him. It's about the idol of his heart, right? Yeah, that mm-hmm. he he actually needs to do this because his money is such an idol. That's yeah, because he walked him. away sad. He yeah. couldn't do it. He couldn't do yeah. it. He couldn't come mm. to Jesus because he mm. his money was his God, wasn't yeah. it? Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's really helpful. Okay, the next sure. question um, is about this kind of misconception, I guess, a kind of a logical follow-on yeah. from our previous question. Um, so, you know, sometimes we might, um, as Christians even, we might get our ideas about achievements and, and, and money uh, a bit messed up. We might overreact to things that Jesus is saying. So that kind of flows into the next question. What do you say to the Christians who go the other way and don't bother trying in any achievement at all as they kind of think it's bad um, and they feel that they have to be more holy and godly and just do everything, like devote every all of their time to Christian activities and, um, and kind of not put any effort into like money, work, you know, all, all these kind of yeah. uh, badges of success because they think Jesus is saying, hey, don't do that. What do you say there? Is there some way to know that we're getting a healthy balance? That's the yeah, next question. Yeah, so um, achieve, the way I 
the algorithm I use to keep myself in that Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold, just sweet spot in the middle, is achievements are a good thing in and of themselves. And they're actually a good gift from a good God to enjoy. So enjoy them for what they are, a good gift from what they are. Uh, so, so don't under-function by saying, oh, I don't want achievements. No, they're a good gift from a good God to enjoy, and they are of benefit, and they're good in and of themselves. But then don't over-function and don't make achievements my security, my identity, my status. Because if I look to God to be my security, my identity, my status, he will fulfill that. Because if I ask too much of my achievements, then they will destroy me and I will break them as well. But if I under-function, then we're not making the most with what God has given us. So, you know, that's, there's an amazing story that Jesus gives where he says, it's a fictitious story, but it illustrates the point of life, uh, as a truth in life, where a king gives his servants, one servant, one talent, another one he gives him three talents, another one gives him five talents. And the thing is, they're meant to do what they can with what they have been given. So, as a three-talent person, I'm not meant to look at the, the one-talent person, hey, how much better am I than you? And look at the five-talent person, oh, what does God give him five talents and I only give me three? No. And Enjoy what God has given us. It's good in and of itself, and make the most with what God has given us. Mm. Yeah. So um, the the achievements, the the work, the money, the success, um, they're they're good aims in and of themselves. Yeah. But. Um, we need to get. We need to, I guess, not over-function in them, not under-function yeah, in them. Yeah, that's right. And learn to learn to hold them rightly. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't own us. Yeah. And so they don't destroy us. Yeah. It's it's a it's a good reminder that we always need to keep coming back to, isn't it? Yeah. Um, recalibrate to get that balance right. And that kind of flows into, there's nice segues here with the questions that have been asked, um, flows into the next question, which I think I've got it grouped under. Um, it's about understanding what's really going on here. And I think you've already answered some of this, um, but we'll, we'll go with these questions. So our achievements are a blessing from our close faith and walk with God. Are we willing to surrender it back? Is that the is this like is that what it's saying? Is this the ultimate test for us? Um, so that's kind of uh, a question. And the next question: Why does Jesus tell the high achiever to sell everything? What's the connection between this and eternal life? Mm. So, um, what's going on there? Wow, that was a compound question, wasn't it? Okay, so um, remind me <laughs> what the questions. first half was again. Okay, well, I'll, maybe we'll still have to split sure. these up into two. Yep. Okay, the first question was, our achievements, are, they kind of actually give us a bit. I think this person has thought about it and they're kind of thinking about a perspective and they're saying, is this, is this what um, the, the passage is saying? They say, our achievements are a blessing from our close faith and walk with God. Mm. Are we willing to surrender it back? And then they ask, is this the ultimate test for us. Yeah, I think so. So what hold does this have on my heart? What does it represent to me? So if I was to surrender it, what would that what would I lose? So let's say um well so I I'm I'm a medical doctor. So let, let's put it that way. So I'm in this thing where, where I don't want to over-function with my medical qualifications and make that my identity, my status, my security, but I don't want to under-function. Like this is a university degree which has high utilitarian value all over the world. And so on the one hand, as did happen to me, when I was about 30, I feel God's calling to go into full-time Christian ministry, I had to ask myself the question, 
can I leave medicine behind? Because my whole life I've wanted to be a doctor. It's defined who I am. How do I feel when I come to that point where I fill out my driver's license and ask for my title? How do I feel about not saying doctor anymore and being Mr. Sam Chan? And that, that was a real struggle. Like, this is my identity. This is my status. This is my honour. Am I able to surrender it? And I thought, what well, if it doesn't have a hold on me, I should be able to freely surrender it. So on the one hand, I don't want to over-function with my medical qualifications. But on the other hand, I don't want to under-function. And so what medicine has allowed me to do is find this amazing job where for one day a week I do surgical assisting work where I just hold a leg for a surgeon and it's low stress, low responsibility and pays massively well. So it's one of those unicorn jobs because <laughs> usually you can, can only have two out of those three, but not three out of three. Freedom, responsibly, paying massively well, right? And, and, and that has allowed me have a work-life balance where I spend a lot of time with my family, uh, where I can keep my hours and, and, and also pay the bills. And so, so use my medical degree, not over-function, but don't under-function. Like God has put us in a Western country with privileged access to health, education, uh, and so let's use what God has given us. Mm, yeah, awesome. And so the second part of that question was, sure. why does Jesus tell the high achiever to sell everything? What's the connection between this and the eternal life? Yeah, so eternal life comes down to, so what is a full life? What is a filled life? What is a fulfilled life? It all comes down to, why am I here? If we don't know why we're here, we actually can't have a fulfilled life and we can't have an eternal life. An eternal life, a narrow definition is, okay, it's living forever in heaven, but the Bible has much richer understanding of eternal life. It means a full life, a filled life, a fulfilled life, both in this life and the life to come. And if our original purpose was to enjoy the presence of God and be part of his mission to spread love, mercy and justice on this planet, that is eternal life. And if there's something holding us back from trusting Jesus and his achievements, following Jesus as our God or worshipping him, then that's what we have to get rid of. And interesting, Jesus never says sell everything you have to anyone else except to um, this rich young ruler. So for him, that was what was holding him back. But for everyone else, there will be different things holding us back. And maybe this is where we can go home and think, okay, where is my status? Where is my security? Where is my freedom? Maybe they're trapping me. Maybe they're taking away my freedom. Do I have the freedom to walk away and put my trust, status and identity in Jesus? instead and find a fuller life than what I have right now. Mm. That is so good. Well, thank you for not only for the great talk, but for answering all of our questions. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Sam.